Hey now, welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. I'm Dave Lorenzo, and today, this is the show you asked me for. You lawyers out there, this is what you've been looking for. You're at a big firm now, and you're thinking to yourself, wouldn't it be great if I could go out on my own? The pandemic has just come to an end, or it's winding down. I got some good clients. What does it take to be a lawyer and an entrepreneur? We've got just the person to answer that question. My guest today is Matthew Formiller, and he is the founding partner of Formiller Law. He's an entrepreneur and a lawyer. He's super successful, and he's doing it in a way that enables him to make a great living and live a great life. So today, Matt's going to help us understand what it takes to be both a lawyer and an entrepreneur. Please join me in welcoming Matthew Formiller to the Inside BS Show. Matt, thanks for joining us. I'm super psyched that you're here. I can't believe I just used the word super psych. The 90s called. They want my vocabulary back. Um, let's talk about who you are and what you do and your firm right now. So give us give us the inside BS about Matt Formiller. Why, why are you in your own firm? How did you get here? Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, so... I think, you know, typically the way that I, I start introducing myself is that I'm a triplet. I have two sisters and all three of us are lawyers. And um, it's it's a unique set of circumstances. Um, our father's an attorney as well. And I always say our mom was the smart one. She was an accountant. And my, uh, my sisters and I did not plan to do that. It just sort of happened. I, I always tell people sort of same destination, different paths to get there. We all found our, our way into the law at different times and for different reasons, but ultimately we're all we're all doing it um, together and separately. So my you know my my journey into the law was I was sort of the last of the three to to come to that conclusion that that's what I wanted to do. I always had sort of a business focus and I always wanted to go into business. And it's funny I find myself in in business law these days. But, uh, you know, my, my sisters and I went to high school, college, and law school together for very different reasons. And uh, once we came out of law school, this was in 2009, it was not a great time to, to come out of law school and, and join a very saturated legal market. Um, so my, my dad is a, uh, he's chair of a midsize law firm. And I, you know, I grew up where everyone knows me as my dad's son. And I'm honored to be compared to my dad. I always have been. But at the same time, I've always been one of those people that's, that's very competitive with myself. And I, I always wanted to make a name for myself and, and not so much have it attached just to my dad for what he's done. So I knew uh, coming out of law school or even in law school, I never wanted to, to even approach my dad or his firm about working there. Um, I wanted to do my own thing. And I, I sort of, come, I, in law school, I, I diversified my experience where I worked at three very different uh, environments. I clerked for a law firm, I clerked for a judge my second summer, and I, I clerked for the uh, state's attorney's office my third summer. And... I think that was a recipe for disaster coming out in 2009 because all of my classmates that's, that, that got a job straight out of law school were staying at one place, cemented in for three years. Um, you know, and I did fairly well in law school. I was a journal editor and none of that mattered coming out of school. And so I started 
having discussions uh, with as many people as I could to try to find a a way to to get interviews and get positions. And my sister, Christina, who's my law partner now, she always wanted to start her own practice. And so she started a practice on her own and asked me while I was looking if I would help her get off the ground because I had a little bit more uh, business background than she did. And I, I think of, of the two of us, I was always seen as the one who's unafraid to, to go out and just put myself out there and talk to people and, and get us relationships. So we started that way. And I met somebody who uh, coincidentally had some extra space in their office. And they said, hey, you and your sister, you know, I'm interested by this dynamic you describe with her. You guys should start a practice formally. You can rent an office from us. It's a thousand bucks a month. You can't make that. You shouldn't have a law license. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll teach you some stuff. We'll throw you some bones and we'll see what happens in a few years. So I approached my sister and said, listen, I'm not sure I want to work with you, but this is something maybe you're interested in. And she had a follow-up conversation with this individual and that night called me and said, listen, I'm going to do this and I can't have you one foot out the door. So you're in, you're out. And uh, I said, all right, I'm in. And, uh, you know, full 180. And I thought, what's the worst that could happen? Let's, Let's try this out. So we started our practice softly in 2010 and officially opened our doors, hung our shingle, so to speak, in 2011 together. And uh, we started as a litigation firm. We really didn't know uh, what we wanted to do. We had exposure in law school to a a variety of subjects, and we sort of knew what we liked. Um, So we tried a bunch of cases in our first two years, whatever we could get, we were taking on, whether it was employment, labor, uh, probate, uh, some guardianship matters, some some business, you know, breach of contract matters, things like that. And uh, about a year and a half in, I said to my sister, uh, number one, this business model isn't sustainable because it's too, you know, the peaks and valleys were too severe and we were living and dying with some of these cases. So I said to her, I think we need to find a different approach, and we really liked the business litigation. We enjoyed representing our clients in some of these business torts and breach of fiduciary duty and and all that. And and I I thought to her, what if we start learning transactional law and, and working with business owners on the transactional side? And in the event that they get sued or want to sue somebody, we're there. We have our foot in the door. Um, I think it's a great means to an end strategy. And it's fairly unique because there's this dichotomy in the law. You don't meet a lot of litigators that also practice transactional work and and vice versa. So we started down that path in, I I would say, uh, late 2012, working with business owners and on the transactional side. And what's funny is that strategy has failed us miserably because most of our clients don't get sued or want to sue anybody um, I would say about 85% of what we do these days is on the transactional side. And we have found through that exposure that we actually really prefer it that way. Um, I'm certainly much happier day-to-day doing transactional work for our clients, but we still maintain a book of, of about 10 or 15% of our practices on the litigation side, helping our, our you know corporate clients in court. So 
Um, day to day, you know, I, I spend a lot of my times, as Christina frames it, I'm the bookends of our practice where I do a lot of the startup work for our clients, where I'm helping them establish new businesses or joint ventures. Um, and then on the back end, I do a lot of the complex transactional work, helping our clients with mergers and acquisitions, equity transactions, commercial real estate transactions, uh, corporate assets. Um, and then she's really filling in the day to day work in the litigation. All right, so let's talk about the dynamic of working with your sister, particularly somebody who's a twin, or in your case, a triplet. How do you um, how do you handle that? Because I know uh, talking to a lot of people who go into business with family members, it either works fantastic or it's maddening, right? How do you so how do you guys like you got Thanksgiving, you got the holidays, you got you know maybe vacation time or family events when you guys see each other. And then, you know, Sunday, uh, Sunday night, you go to bed, Monday rolls around and then you see each other again in the office. Like explain the dynamic there and how it works for you. Sure. No, it's a great question. A lot of people wonder that. I think you're, you're spot on, by the way. We have a number of family owned business clients and it goes either very well or very terribly. Um, I, I, the way I look at it is, um, you know, Christina coined it the best. We are three different expressions of the same person in a way. Being a triplet is a very unique thing. Um, we have always, whether we like it or not, been attached together, the three of us, and gone through life together, the three of us. In fact, you know, to this day, you know, I, I probably talk to both sisters multiple times a day every day. Um, whether it's for business with Christina or personal, same thing with my other sister, Catherine. We're just always talking. And um, my wife's actually the new triplet. They've kind of ousted me at this point. <laughs> you know, but, it's, easier. it's easier for them to get things done by calling your wife, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and they like her better, so it works out, you know. But the, the, the thing that I think cements our relationship so much is we have this inherent level of trust. And... I know this doesn't exist with every uh, sibling pair, but first off, what's funny is years ago, we took some personality tests and the DISC assessment and some of those, you know, strength finder tests. Christina and I literally are ideal compatible matches as partners because we, you know, her, her weaknesses are my strengths. My weaknesses are her strengths. And it's funny how that worked out. Um, in, in second off, you know, she and I just trust each other um, where, for instance, I do a lot of the managing sort of partner work. I do a lot of the, the administrative work for our business where, of course, she she doesn't always want to know about some of the administrative things. Um, it's just not what she's interested in. However, I, I tell her, I'm like, you know, um, you should know what's going on with our, our financials and our bank balances and all that sort of stuff. Um, but she trusts me to handle it. And same thing, um, we have found also that we have different strengths in our practice focuses where on the complex transactional side, that's really my world, whereas opposed to the day-to-day -day corporate work and the litigation is her world, and it works out that way. So we coexist very well, um, the two of us. That's great. 
And I have to ask because I know the audience is thinking this. What? So Catherine is like the. Does she is does she have like an eye on the practice? And she's like, let me make sure these guys are going to be okay. It's only been you know eleven years or twelve years so far. Uh, like, what is she? Is she working at another firm? And and you know, does she sure. not want to jump into the family dynamic because she's got a different vision? Or how did that work? So she, she had the opposite approach in law school where she always wanted to work in my, my dad's firm. Um, she was, she was very interested. She, she worked there in college in different administrative roles and then, um, you know, was a law clerk throughout law school there. And it was, you know, conversations her and I had where I said, listen, do you want a target on your back the size of Texas? You know, everyone knows who you are. There will be assumptions about you, and it's going to be difficult to navigate. But that's something if if they're willing to have you. And she did very well in school. She was always uh, a great candidate. Um, so she's a partner there now at my my dad's firm, and she runs a condo slash sort of HOA practice. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really that's really kind of. She she definitely there was a little bit of that. I'm not sure you guys are going to make it. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And now we tell her jokingly, you know, I, I I think she's pretty well cemented over there. But if she ever did want to join us, I'm like, I don't know. We'd have you. Yeah. You'd sure. have to interview with the management committee. Right. 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 <laughs> All right. So, Matt. Tell me about one of the things I find when I work with lawyers is particularly in partnerships uh, and, you know, with two, especially with two partners is. My, my advice to them, first and foremost, is to have a solid partnership agreement and make sure that everybody's comfortable with it. Now, you work with your sister. So did you, did you guys sit down and say, look, we need a partnership agreement and we need to have these documents in place? Did you guys do that? Absolutely. So you're hitting the nail on the head, by the way, that, you know, I should use this as, as a piece with my, some of my family-owned business clients because I... I I really articulate to them in these circumstances where there's this level of informality because of the family relationship, it's even more important to have those formalities in place. Um, As I typically tell people, we don't ever assume the worst. We just plan for it. And I don't want a situation to arise where there ever is a disagreement or some sort of misunderstanding it's so much easier to have these governing documents in place where I can just say, hey, you thought A, I thought B, let's look at this. It'll tell us who's who's correct and we'll just go with it. And so I, I'm, you know, we, we had also said, you know, I'm not sure we're planning on it just being the two of us forever. We want a structure for growth. And in order to do that, you have to have these formalities in place. Yeah. So that if an outsider who isn't part of the family joins in, of course they would demand those documents be in place. So let's have them already. Yeah, that's great, and I'm I'm delighted to hear that you did that because I work with uh, you know there's one firm in particular the the two gentlemen who are the you know the founding partners and the firm is now 15 years old. The two gentlemen who are the founding partners are really good friends of mine. And they didn't have uh, they they didn't have a, a partnership agreement. They drafted one, and each of them carried it around in their briefcase for like a year and a half before they finally finalized it. So, and that's typical. It is it is absolutely typical of family owned businesses or even of partnerships of close friends where they don't want to have those tough conversations. So it's it's terrific that you did that. The next question that is you know kind of um, a part and parcel with that is. 
have you uh, have you done what you probably advise your clients to do and look at like key person insurance? So if one if something happens to one of the two partners, you guys have the ability to buy the other person's uh, estate out and you can continue the practice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, this goes back to that. that and, and Matt, explain why that's important. So from a from a legal perspective, why is it important to do that? Sure. So, you know, buy-sell agreements are important in, in any business relationship because what it does is it articulates specifically the blueprint for what's the format in the event of some sort of involuntary withdrawal, whether it's a death, disability, divorce, bankruptcy, those types of things where equity can be transferred by operational law or, or due to circumstances. How do we, how do we um, you know, structure the purchase of that equity back into the company so that the, the folks controlling the, the company can absorb that back? Because oftentimes in a privately held business, um, it's not like you've got 200 partners and, and some small chunk is out there as a, you know, an economic interest in someone's estate. I mean, you usually have a handful of owners and it's best to keep it in that handful, however small it shrinks. So, you know, you're going to structure the format of the purchase. You're going to structure how do we determine the purchase price for this equity and how do we pay it? Is it, you know, through... Keyman insurance? Is it through a note? Is it cash? You know, all of these things should be taken care of up front so that you don't have to worry. And I have dealt with it where I have had clients whose partners drop dead on a Sunday and they call me on a Monday and say, what do we do? And if they don't have those things in place, you know, you're dealing with emotional issues and grief, and you're also dealing with the practical issues that come along with that equity. So, um, we have always thought, again, you know, reciting that phrase, I don't assume the worst is going to happen with anybody. We just plan for it so that if that does happen, we, we have it taken care of. And the key man insurance is really important because it, it basically will finance the, the buyout of that individual. It doesn't hurt cash flow. It doesn't really put a lot of stress on a company. Yeah, you know, and I, I have a number of stories with the with the firms that I've worked with over the years. One of them in particular that I tell people all the time is we had there's a there's a real estate slash condo firm um, here in South Florida where I live, and the two named partners had a buyout, and um, the buyout looked great on paper when uh, the the rest of the the group bought them out. And it didn't age well, <coughs> excuse me, over time, the managing, uh, the shareholders were, they were disenamored, let's say, with the, with the agreement, but it, you know, it was an agreement. They couldn't get out of it. Well, turns out that unfortunately, one of the, the, the named partners who was bought out was sick uh, and ended up passing away and unbeknownst, I mean, it was, it was written down somewhere, but unbeknownst to many of the shareholders, there was a, a significant insurance policy which provided for uh, the buyout of his shares, and that ended up changing the entire dynamic, and it, it freed the rest of the group up from that financial obligation and that burden, and it turned out, you know, it was an unfortunate event, and now the second partner has since passed away, but it was an unfortunate event, but that insurance now from both partners has ended up really taking the firm and completely changing the dynamic of the shareholder group 
and they were thrilled that that the you know those two folks had put it in place and they put it in place like 35 years prior to any of this happening so that you know only a handful of people in the firm realized that this was there obviously the the people who are important the managing shareholder the chief financial officer knew this was in place but it completely changed the dynamic of the firm and it freed them up to uh to thrive um, and, you know, think of the opposite, right? Think of what could have happened, right? A struggle to buy out non-lawyers who are now owners of a law firm, which is an, an incredible, it's a disastrous situation that, believe me, no lawyer wants to face. All right, Matt, talk about, I want you to talk a little bit about business development, because that's what a huge concern is going to be for many attorneys who are listening to this and thinking about going out on their own. I want to give you a minute to think about um, business development and, and how you're going to um, give advice to people who are thinking about going out on their own with regard to business development. While you're thinking about that, I want to remind folks that Sundrowski Corporate Advisors is our sponsor. And for over 35 years, they've helped professionals and businesses with exactly what Matt just described. So if you're thinking about how it's going to end for you and your business, one of the first things you need to do is make sure your financial structure is in place and make sure that your business is formed and organized so that you're paying the least amount in taxes possible. So if you want Matt to help you with your business entity formation, I think that's a perfect thing. Go to Sandrowski, have them review the business entity portfolio that's out there, tell Sandrowski what your plans are for the future, and they can give you guidance, they can give you advice on the way to structure your business for tax mitigation purposes. And then Matt can go and set up the structure for you, but you want to know what the tax implications are. Now, why am I telling you to do this today, right? The best time to do this would have been when you started your business, if you had an exit plan in mind, but like 99% of people don't do that because they don't have an exit plan in mind when they start their business. The second best time to do it is today. And here's the reason why. If you have five years or more as a time horizon for when you're going to exit from your business, let Sandrowski look at the formation of your business because there's something called the Qualified Small Business Exemption that can help you shelter any windfall you receive, at least a portion of it, from taxes. And Sandrowski's particularly good at this. So what I encourage you to do is this. Give Sandrowski a call. I'll give you their number in just a sec. And then have them review your entity structure and your entire personal tax portfolio. And then you can decide whether you want, want to make some changes to your entity structure. And then you can call Matt to make those changes. Here's the number for Sandrowski. Call them at 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Sandrowski Corporate Advisors, like I said, has been doing this for over 35 years. They really can be your secret weapon as an entrepreneur to legally help you shelter as much as you can from tax exposure. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. You know that I help professionals with business development. Well, one of the tools I use is a revenue roadmap. It is a business development plan for professionals that's based on relationships and thought leadership. I don't do a lot of TV, radio, billboard advertising. In fact, I don't do any billboard advertising at all. I never advise my clients to do that stuff. I help you with relationships, and the tool I use is my revenue roadmap. I want to give you this tool for free. 
That's right. I'm giving it to you for free. Why? Because I want to say thank you for listening, for watching the show. Here's what you need to do. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com, enter your contact info, and you can download the same guide I use with my clients. I customize it for them. You can customize it for yourself. Revenueroadmapguide.com, enter your contact info, accept this gift from me as a way to say thank you for watching us and for listening to us today. If you like what you're hearing from Matt, if you like what you're hearing from me on today's show or any other show, be sure and give us a hey now down in the comments. Just type in hey now down in the comments. We really appreciate it. That interaction helps boost the show, whether it's on the podcast or on the video, helps boost it to the top of the charts. Our guest today is Matt Formiller. He's an attorney in Chicago. He helps people with business transactional work as well as with some litigation. You can reach out to him. You can call him at 312. 312- 207-1682-312-207-1682. All right, Matt. So let's talk a little bit about business development because my experience is it scares the heck out of attorneys when they're when they're thinking about going out on their own. So you and Christina, well, Christina's out and you decide you're gonna join her and now you got two mouths to feed. Well, each of you maybe have has a family, so you got multiple mouths to feed. How are you getting business in the door? So I think the first the, the most important thing I, I start with is, you know, you, you have to understand when, when you go out on your own, you eat what you kill. You know, it, it, work doesn't just come to you. Um, you. You have to go out and get it. And uh, it takes a lot of effort and planning and strategy. It's not something that happens overnight. And it's a fluid concept where, you know, your approach may work with some folks and it doesn't work with others and you have to be, you know, adaptable so that you can continually refine your approach or or have multiple approaches that might work under different circumstances. So one thing I, I would say is it's never too early to start building relationships. I meet some young lawyers in midsize or bigger firms, and they are focused, of course, on, you know, doing a lot of work, learning substantive areas of law, um, which is very important because one of the most important things about, you know, business development is you have to actually understand what you're doing. Um, No lawyer is in a true um, sort of siloed sales role. Most aren't, at least. We're, we're both practitioners and sales folks. So I always think it's important to be able to practice what you preach. So if you're out there talking about what you can do for a client, you should be able to back it up and do that work. And I also think it makes you more effective at selling because you know how to do the work and you can articulate that very well. So um, something I learned uh, early on, is, you know, it's great to meet people in volume. Uh, I think when you're first starting out, it's really hard to, to narrow down different pools of, of people to meet with. So you do have to be uh, unafraid to go out there and meet people. And once you start exposing yourself, you start to realize as you start forming relationships and some stuff comes in the door, now your time is, is you know, limited because you actually have work to do. And you can't just be out there eight to 10 hours a day meeting people, scheduling calls or meetings. So you have to be more strategic about who you're meeting. And so it, it, you know, for me, it's about coming up with a plan or roadmap saying, here's the different types of people I'd like to meet and here's why, you know, 
whether they have access to a group of people I want to get to know or they have a reputation or just me being affiliated with them is is really important. Or it's it's a direct hire scenario. Somebody said to me, this person's looking for, for your type of services. You know, let me link you up. Um, I, I think once you do that, you already have a clearer picture of, okay, these are the types of, of profiles I want to get out there and meet. But I think it's it's also equally important to understand you get what you give in this world. And I have seen it time and time again, the, the people that are truly out there interested in just helping others. Um, they, they It will come back tenfold where it may not seem that way. There was a book I read years ago by uh, an author named Adam Grant called Give and Take. That's a and great, it's, it's a of, great book. I love that book. It is. Yeah. yeah, it's one of my favorite books because it does truly um, illustrate these concepts of giving, taking, matching, the you do something for me, I'll do something for you. And what you see in the long run is that people that are genuinely fulfilled by helping others and making a difference, it will come back. And so I think of it as, you know, how do I want to spend my days? I love meeting people. I love talking, as you can tell. I could talk till I'm blue in the face. And whether or not people want to listen to me is another issue. But um, I, I love meeting people. I love, uh, you know, making connections for people because to me, there's almost nothing more fulfilling than when somebody calls me or says, hey, do you know somebody that can do X or knows Y? And I could say, yeah, I actually do. Here, why don't you two meet? And it works out. And they send me a note afterwards saying, hey, I, I'm so glad you introduced me to that person. That's going to be really helpful. That is like one of the most fulfilling things I can do on a daily basis. So I love doing it. Um, and what I find is, you know, not only being out there and meeting people, but then having a, a process for being persistent. And when I say being persistent, I don't mean being annoying to people. And if they tell you I'm not interested, continually bombarding them with content or, or emails, it's staying on people's radars, you know, so that you are top of mind. So it's, it's not a one and done sort of thing. Oh, I had a great one, you know, meeting with this person. It went really well. And then you just expect them to, to reach out to you at some point. You have to realize this is a two-way street. And so if you want to maintain the relationship, take it upon yourself to set, you know, calendar schedules to say, I'm going to reach out to this person in a couple weeks if it doesn't happen organically so we can keep this going. And that way, if those people get calls, hey, do you know a good corporate lawyer? They're going to say, you know what, I just had this meeting with Matt and he just talked about this. I'm going to send him. It, it's, it's not rocket science. It just takes strategy and effort and persistence. Yeah, no. So exactly what you said is how I've built my business over the years, and it's how I teach people to build their business. You go out and you, you tr first of all, you try to employ leverage wherever you can, right? So you go out and give a speech, you write an article, you, if you're going to do networking, you do it the way you and I do it, right? With like, we're part of a group called Provisors. There are dozens of different groups out there where, you know, professionals join these groups and the purpose of joining them is to create new relationships and for business to, to blossom from those relationships, right? The key is figuring out the best use of your time from a leverage standpoint. And then you have to find a way to follow up. I literally built my business, Matt, on the back of a weekly educational email. I didn't sell anything. I just provided business development education for professionals. 
And at first, when people, when I would, when I would say, hey, listen, we just met, I want to, I want to send you my weekly email newsletter, people would go, oh, I never read those things, blah, blah, blah. And I said, listen, read it for a couple of weeks. If you don't like it, you can unsubscribe and, you know, we'll find another way to stay in touch. 98% of people, if the content is good, will continue to stay on. They'll read it occasionally, but they're happy to stay in touch with you. So your consistency in communication that's one of the missing elements, Matt, because I meet a lot of people, and I, and I want you to really speak to this because I want to hammer this home. I meet a lot of people who do a lot of networking. I mean, like hardcore, you know, like the stuff that I personally can't stand, like Chamber of Commerce stuff, and, you know, they belong to 15 charitable boards, and every night they're at a different event or function, and they complain to me that no business ever comes from it. Why? Because they're missing that consistency in follow-up piece. So talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, give away like the secret sauce. What do you do to stay in touch with people, to stay on their radar? Sure. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I mean, I meet a lot of people that are just out there and I feel like they're spending a lot of money on business cards and it's unfruitful for them because they've got the first step in the process and they're missing the the rest of it. Um you know, what I do is, first and foremost, when I meet with somebody, I always say this to people, I want to get to know you as a person before I get to know you as a professional. Because uh, at the end of the day, yes, there are shades of like, I'm better at this than than this person or this, I'm better in this industry. Um, but at the end of the day, we all, you know, I, I say there's 80,000 lawyers around here, we all do the same stuff. And yes, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And I personally believe I can get clients in the door because I know what I'm doing, but I keep clients long-term because of the way I provide the service and the way I get to know them because they know they know me, they trust me, they like working with me. That's the recipe. So when I meet somebody, I want to get to know them personally because if we're not a fit personality-wise, you're, you're not going to want to uh, get to know me more and develop a relationship Unless it's one of those things where it's like you are in this weird nuanced area, you have a, a niche lane where no one else does it, and it's like, I don't like this person, but I know they know what they're doing, I'm going to have to send it over there. Most of the time, that's not the case. So what I do after that initial meeting, number one, I always send a follow-up, <clears throat> just letting them know, hey, I really appreciated getting together today. I, I try to include personal tidbits so that they know I was listening. And I wasn't just talking the whole time. So I say, I really enjoyed learning about this, about you or that. And that was really interesting. It made me want to go look into this. So then when I'm following up with people, there's a couple different ways, I think, to do it in a way that isn't obvious. Because everyone says, oh, I'm just checking in. And to me, that's such a thinly veiled excuse for, hey, you had a calendar entry time. I'm just, I'm just reminding you that I want some business. That's what they yeah. should say. <laughs> exactly. And it doesn't, it's not uh, authentic at all. So I, I typically, whether I may say I'm checking in on the subject line, but in the email, I'm saying, you know what, um, it's been a while and I want to take you to get a cup of coffee or let's get on a, a meeting. So one way to do it is invite them to something, get them on a, a, you know, whether it's take them to an event or just invite them for a lunch or a dinner, drinks, coffee, whatever. Um, one thing that I think is incredibly effective, and I touch on this, is introduce them to people. That makes a huge difference. So I will typically make it my mission when I meet somebody and listen to what they're looking for. I may meet someone else who says I'm looking for that right away. I, I will email them both and say, I would love to introduce you. 
to so-and-so, you told me this is something you're looking for. Does that sound good to you? And of course, yeah, that'd be great. So that's a huge one. And then it's sort of like you're saying, give them information, give them whether it's it's content or or knowledge, um, thought leadership, things that that are actually sort of beneficial to them. So, in, in as you know, there's an art to it. You don't want to give too much away, but you want to give them something that's that's more meaningful than something you could literally. I always say, if you could just Google something, and the first three articles come up with the same sort of fluff, don't give them that. No, we you know, want their we want your opinion. I want if you're going to give me content, also give me your opinion on the content because without your opinion, like you said, I can go find it anywhere. Right. So it's important to, you know, for me it's a mix of those three things. It's sort of, you know, making sure I, I maintain a, a relationship where we are in touch, where we're seeing each other, whether it's virtually or in person, on somewhat of a regular basis. It's I'm thinking of them and trying to make introductions. And I'm like, even if I'm just, you know, I read an article on LinkedIn from somebody, I go, you know what, so and so would really like this article, I think. To me, the sort of the underlayer of sending that article isn't so much the content itself. It's that the, 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 the message that, Hey, I was thinking about you. Right. And this provoked me to, you know, I think that's important. As humans, you know, as a species, we're under recognized and we all crave that type of recognition. So anytime that's a magic phrase, what you just said, anytime you can say, Hey, I was thinking about you, all of a sudden you move to the top of anybody's list because Nobody's thinking about you. No, no, nobody's ever thinking about you, right? So, you know, Four Miller just reached out to me, told me he was thinking about me. I got to send him a case. Literally, that's what happens. They may not think that in their mind, but that's what happens because it's like, this guy was thinking about me? Man, you know, they're like 90% of the world isn't thinking about me. I should send my work to somebody who is thinking about me. It's just so brain dead simple. All right, Matt, so we got a couple minutes left. I want you to tell us, who your ideal client is and who your ideal referral sources tend to be. Sure. So it, it's funny because our ideal client is industry agnostic. We aren't, you know, of course, highly specialized areas of business, you know, whether it's healthcare or cannabis that's highly regulated. That's not something we routinely work in. But um, I, I tell clients, you know, most of our clients are businesses or business owners. And they tend to be in, you know, revenue range isn't even an indicator all the time because as a lot of our clients use us as outside general counsel, we are the legal arm of our client's business. Um, Revenue isn't always an indicator because we have some clients that are in a higher revenue range, a mid-market company, but they use us for, you know, either some of their legal work or all of it because they just don't want to bring on an in-house counsel or go to a bigger firm. But we, you know, we typically see these these businesses that are in the sort of twenty or million twenty million or less revenue range, maybe seventy five employees or less, and and the reason really is because of capacity. Where if if our clients need us more than twenty hours or thirty hours a month, we probably aren't the ideal fit at that Periscope level. You probably need a firm with more resources than we have, but um, most of our clients. Uh, you know, our ideal clients are those folks that are responsive, that value sort of the investment and in partnering up with an outside, you know, 
arm like a fractional service provider like us. Um, and also that, that I always say legal advice is funny because you don't have to take it. You know, I like our clients that actually at least contemplate what we, we advise and, and give it a good thought and don't just go and do their own thing. Where I'm like, why are we here if you're not going to, you know, pay us? Yeah, to, those, to those people should pay more. The people who don't listen yeah. should pay double. <laughs> yeah. And I would say, hey, as long as it's not unethical or illegal, I mean, look, you're informed. You, you can make the decision. But, I, I you know, there's risk here or here. Let's talk about it. Um, so those are our ideal clients are these businesses and business owners in that, you know, 20 or million or, or less range uh, th- that look are looking for fractional legal services. Um, we also like as entrepreneurial types, we like working with other entrepreneurial types that are that are always exploring new opportunities, you know, starting new businesses, joint ventures, other service arms, product arms. Um, and then great referral sources, you know, a lot of them tend to be lawyers because a lot of lawyers were seen as sort of a jack of all trades where I get calls all the time for things that we don't do. And, uh, you know, it's so easy for me to, to refer those out to other lawyers that I know do those things. But it's typically folks that are, um, you know, receiving these types of, of requests where they're saying, hey, do you know somebody that can help me? safely, you know, uh, structure my business, structure equity, grow it, come up with a plan to, to award our staff a certain way from the legal side, or, hey, we want to get to from A to B, we want to purchase these assets or lease this large equipment or grow, how, how do we do that from the legal side? You know, those are things we often hear. Or, hey, I'm looking to sell my company or buy a company. I don't understand the process. Do you know somebody who can who can help me whose rates aren't, you know, $700 an hour? Sure, sure. Our guest today is Matt Formiller. You can reach out to him at 312-207-1682, 312-207-1682. All right, Matt, I want you to give us three things we should take away from our time together, three things we should take away based on our conversation today. Give you a minute to think about that while I remind folks that we're brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. So if you're an entrepreneur and you want to know what the tax consequences of selling your business should be, you should call Sandrowski. I mentioned that earlier in the show. If you have a contentious situation, you're perhaps two partners and you want to dissolve your business or one partner wants to exit the business or you're looking to sell your business, you need to know what the business is worth. Sandrowski can help you with that as well. Sandrowski's valuation aspect of their uh, accounting firm is one of the most one of the things they're most known for. Why? Because they're really good at it. If you need help determining the value of your business or a business you're looking to purchase, you need to reach out to Sandrowski Corporate Advisors and have them come in and take a look at not only the books, but they'll also do a, a comparable assessment at other businesses in the industry to determine what the value of your business should be. Give them a call at 866-717-1607, 866-717-1607. Sundrowski Corporate Advisors is a CPA firm with a different perspective. Also, don't forget, I'm offering you something for free, my Revenue Roadmap Guide. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com, download your business development template there. You can customize it for your professional practice. Believe me, this is one of the best things you can do. It will keep you focused on how you're gonna grow your professional service practice. RevenueRoadmapGuide.com is the website. Enter your contact info, download it for free right there. All right, Matt, what are the three things people should take away from our time together today? Sure. So I think number one, if you're not 
growing your dime. And I don't mean scaling necessarily. I mean, you know, if you're not personally pushing yourself to learn new things, meet new people, um, really focus on, you know, expanding, uh, you know, what you can do, what you're capable of, you're stagnant. And stagnancy is never a good thing. And I think especially when you when you have your own business like, like my sister and I do, um, we're constantly challenging each other to, to do that um, so that we can continue to grow, whether it's with other folks in scaling up or just in, in terms of the complexity of the work we do and who we work with. And we have seen quite a bit of that. Number two, I think it goes hand in hand. You know, you, you can't be afraid to take on opportunities. Um, I, I know a lot of people that say, well, I don't want to leave my firm now because it's comfortable. And, and this goes hand in hand with that if you're not growing, you're dying. You want to make uh, calculated risks. And of course, don't do something that, that you know is certainly not going to, you know, at least if you think you're going to fail um, and there's a certainty to it, don't do that. But, you know, I, I've always thought, you know, I'm personally competitive. I don't care what other people think. I don't care about what, you know, what I'm capable of versus the next person. What I care about is I always say to myself every day, why can't I do this or that? And if the answer is, I guess because I haven't tried or because it's something I, I'm not sure I, I can get to yet, I say, well, let me see if I can get there. And, and there's a reason why we've grown to the point where, where we're at. My sister and I is because we've both done that together and on our own individually. So I tell people, you have to be entrepreneurial at all times when you're running your business and say, you know, it, maybe this client isn't the most comfortable client to work with or you haven't done something with this particular, you know, archetype of client or something. If it's something you think you can do competently and you're just afraid, push yourself. And I think number three is uh, be strategic when it comes to you know developing relationships, have a plan in place. Don't just go blindly like like we were talking about. Don't just hit a hundred networking events and hope that by giving enough people your cards, you're going to get you know a bunch of work in the door. Be strategic about who you're going to meet and why, and focus on doing things for them and being helpful because it will come back tenfold. Great advice. Thank you for those three tips, Matt Formula. If you want to reach out to Matt, you can call him at 312-207-1682, 312-207-1682. Matt, thank you for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. Alrighty, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the Inside BS Show. We'll be back here again tomorrow with another great interview. Until then, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life. <laughs>